Well, good evening. Good to see you guys this evening. My name is Dan. I happen to be one of the pastors at Grace Church. I have the privilege of serving at the Norton campus. And while Pastor Jeff is away on vacation, hopefully getting some rest and relaxation, I have the privilege of being here with you. There's a lot of you that I know, seen a lot of familiar faces, and it's kind of fun to reconnect with those familiar faces. And uh, there's a lot of you that I'm just getting to know. And if I haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to meet you afterwards. But I just want to say this before we jump into what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, It blows me away to be here. Okay? I love seeing what God is doing in you and through you. I love seeing the years of prayer kind of come to fruition. And I want to just tell you guys, you're doing a great job. I'm enthusiastic about how God's going to use this campus to reach people for Jesus. I'm proud of you. And I can tell you this, there is a lot of people that are praying, praying for you. In fact, I thought maybe the best way for us to start tonight is if you would give me the privilege just to pray for you, and then we'll jump into looking at what God has to say. Can we do that? So why don't you just bow your heads and pray with me. Father, thanks for letting me be here. Thank you that uh, I'm here with brothers and sisters, and I thank you for what you're doing here at Barberton. I thank you for lives that are being changed and lives that will be changed. God, my prayer for my brothers and sisters here at Barberton is simply this, that you'd give them a vision to see exactly what you want them to see, that you'd give them faith to walk where they, quite frankly, shouldn't go on their own, but because that's where you're going, they'll go. God, that you would literally and collectively break their hearts for lost people who need Jesus, and God, that you would protect their unity as a family, as a body. God, I am so thankful for my friend, their leader, Pastor Jeff. And God, I thank you for how you're using him to lead and to love here. And my prayer is is that he's away, that you'd renew his spirit, refresh his body. God, I pray that we would see many, many people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, as Lord, and get a hold of the power of the gospel, and that you'd bring glory to yourself and shine the lights bright on Jesus because of what you're doing here. So we'll trust you in that, and we believe that you love us, and we believe that you know more than us, so we need you, and we look forward to what you're going to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love for you right out of the gate to do me a favor and grab your Bible, and I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, there's some on the back table. You can grab one, put your name in it, take it with you. If you don't own one, it's page 950 in those Bibles. And we're going to kind of jump into Philippians tonight because for the next four weeks, we're going to kind of take a journey through the book of Philippians. Pastor Jeff and I are going to kind of share this time together. And so when we get to the book of Philippians, as you're turning there, you also can grab your, your little program and take some notes. There's some things I'd love for you to write down tonight that I think are going to be helpful. Uh, here's my hope is that we will open up God's Word and that you'll kind of let it read you. That we won't simply read it, you'll let it read you. And so as you open up to Philippians 1, I have a question for you, okay? Here's my question. I'm curious if you have ever met somebody who is uncommon, just think in your brain, if you've ever met somebody who's uncommon, you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, what exactly is uncommon? What does that mean, okay? So that's a great question, right? So if you go to Webster's Dictionary online, we'll throw it up here, the uncommon simply means this, something that's not often found, seen, or experienced. Have you ever met somebody that's remarkable, somebody that's not ordinary, somebody that's exceptional? 
I mean, you think about meeting somebody that's, that's uncommon, there's maybe several things that might come to your mind. There's people that have uncommon attributes, right? I mean, if you just think about it, there's people who are uncommonly strong, you may uncommonly tall, uh, uncommonly shy, uncommonly friendly, or maybe unfriendly. Uh, at the Norton campus, some of you might remember this guy. We have people who think they're uncommonly good looking, and uh, we'll put his picture up there. Some of you, affectionately, that's our Pastor Bob, and so he thinks he's uncommonly good, but maybe it's an attribute. Maybe if it's not an attribute of somebody you can think of, maybe it's an ability, right? People have uncommon abilities. How many of your Cavs fans in the room? Any Cavs fans? Yeah, okay. So go Cavs. And LeBron James has an uncommon athletic ability, right? He's uncommonly good on the basketball court. So there's people who have an uncommon uh, physical athletic ability. Some people have an uncommon musical ability. Let me ask a question. Just, just transparency. I'm going to be honest tonight. How many of y'all, when John said, clap, you're like, cool, I'll clap, but when he said, now let's sing, you couldn't keep clapping because you can't sing and clap at the same time. Come on, raise your hand. I'm not the only one, right? Steve, I see if I got right. I can't do it. I can't. But some people got this uncommon musical ability, right? And so some people have an uncommon ability in music, sports, math, whatever it might be. But I have a bigger question for you tonight, and that's this. Not, not whether you met somebody with uncommon attributes and uncommon abilities, but I want to ask you this. Have you ever met somebody that's got an uncommon attitude? Maybe better yet, you ever met somebody that's got an uncommon joy? Now, I want you to think about, in light of our definition, what that would mean. Let me just read it to you. It's a joy that's not often found, right? It's a joy that's not seen very often. It's not experienced very much. It's a remarkable joy. It's not ordinary. It would be an exceptional joy. I think what I'm asking, have you ever met somebody that doesn't simply have an occasional, superficial, candy smile, but somebody that has a joy that runs deep like a reservoir, deep into their soul, that it spills out when they splash into people they meet? You ever met somebody? like that? I mean, those people can be uncommon. And if we're honest, and it's what's going to set up where we're going for the next four weeks, that kind of joy in our culture, in our society, is a little bit elusive. And it's a joy that if we're honest in our culture, we spend a lot of time running hard after. We want that kind of joy, right? But yet there's a lot of us that think to ourselves, I, would, I could have that joy if I just had something else or a little more of something in my life, right? I mean, Dan, I could be one of those guys that had uncommon joy if I just had a little more money, right? Or I could be one of those guys that had a little, a little bit of that kind of uncommon joy if I just had more stuff, more power. You might be here, I don't know all of you, but you might be somebody in the room who's like, I could have that kind of joy if, if I just had a spouse, right? If I could get a girlfriend, a boyfriend, whatever it might be, if I could have a spouse. In fact, I was reading about somebody like that, right? There's an older preacher who I love to listen to and read. His name's Pastor Swindoll, and some of you have heard of him. And uh, he had a, a lady write him a letter. And uh, she said, I'm somebody that's got uncommon joy, but she was struggling because she didn't have a partner, a spouse, And so she was struggling trusting God to give her joy in that area. So she wrote her pastor. She said this, I left my future in God's hand, but I thought he might need help with this particular area that would bring me joy. So she said, Pastor Swindoll, I must tell you, every night I hung a pair of men's pants on my bed, and I would kneel down beside my bed and pray this prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, hear my prayer, and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man, is what she prayed, right? Isn't that fascinating? Now, here's what's funny about this. 
He told that story the next Sunday. He told that story in his congregation, so they're listening, and he, people were laughing and whatever. And, whatnot, and he noticed sitting right down here was a dad and his son. Mom was home with a sick daughter. And he noticed dad was just belly laughing, like, oh, man, that's funny. But he noticed that boy, teenage boy, and that boy, he could see his mind just kind of going, and he didn't laugh. He was thinking. Well, it was evident to him that Pastor Swindoll, his story never made it home. They never told mom at home that was home with a sick kid. Because two weeks later, she wrote the pastor. And here's what she wrote. Dear Pastor Swindoll, I'm wondering if I should be worried about something. It has to do with our son. For the last two weeks, I've noticed that before our son turns the lights out and goes to sleep at night, he hangs a woman's swimsuit over the foot of his bed. Should I be concerned about that? Isn't that fascinating? Here's the deal. There are some people that think if I just had more of something in my life, I could have uncommon joy. And then there's a whole lot of people that allow other people to steal their joy. They allow circumstances to kind of sabotage their joy. They allow challenges in their life to kind of stymie their spirit, so to speak. And so they're like, I could have uncommon joy if I didn't have so many challenges. I could have uncommon joy if I didn't have so many problems. And some of you might be saying, like, I could have uncommon joy if one were the doggone people in my life, right? I mean, those kind of things can all of a sudden sneak up on us, steal our joy. The next four weeks, I want us to lean in and listen to a guy, probably an unlikely guy, talk to us about joy. He's an unlikely guy because he's the guy that wrote what you have laying in your laps. And the reason that he would be unlikely is this, is that he's writing this letter about uncommon joy from prison. He's in prison and he has some things to say about joy. Open your Bibles, look at them. Chapter 1, verse 1. Here's all I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to let you know we're going to, we're going to go verse by verse right down the row, okay? He has some powerful things to say, and he starts by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Here's what I want you to get out of this. This is a real guy writing to real people. Paul's the guy that's authoring this. Timothy's his protege. And Paul planted the church he's writing to 10 or 11 years before he wrote this letter. Real people in a real situation, Paul knew them. You can read about it in Acts 16. But look what he says in verse 2. You see it? In verse 2, he says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we could run right past that. I've heard this talked about many times. And it sounds like kind of a typical greeting Paul would use. But I want to tell you this. I'm going to challenge you with this tonight. That if we run right past this, we'll miss the secret to uncommon joy. We'll miss the secret to the entire book of Philippians. Here's why. I want you to write this down in your notes. I think Paul wants us to know that uncommon joy is found in an uncommon gospel. Uncommon joy is found in an uncommon gospel. And an uncommon gospel, which is what the story of God, the story of the Bible is all about, is a story that is all about grace and peace. It's a story about grace and peace. I don't know if you thought about it that way or not. But the gospel is all about grace and peace. Say, Dan, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. If you write in your Bibles, this would be worth writing in your Bible or on your notes, whatever. But it's all about grace and peace. First, it's all about grace. Do you know what grace is? 
Grace is what happens to me that I don't deserve. Did you know that? That's what grace is. Grace is I get what I don't deserve. And so the gospel is a story of grace. It's what makes Christianity different than other world religions. Because the gospel says this. Because of what Jesus did for us, we can have what we could never achieve, accomplish, earn on our own. That the, the Bible says this, the gospel is about us owing a debt that none of us can pay. That Jesus, the only one to live a sinless life, came and paid a debt he didn't owe. That's the gospel. It's fascinating. That because of what Christ did for me, I can have what I, could, I never deserve, couldn't earn, couldn't accomplish. The gospel is first about grace, but it's about peace. I don't know if you know what peace is, but peace is simply this. Peace is simply that which happens inside of me that I have trouble explaining. The gospel is about grace and peace. It's about peace first with God. Now, I want to tell you something that I feel very strongly about. We live in a culture, I've done a lot of funerals, and here is what I hear over and over again. I wonder if they made their peace with God. I want to tell you something tonight. You can't make your peace with God. God is the one who took the initiative to make peace with you. Very big difference. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That when I place my faith and trust in Christ as my Savior, that's what the Bible calls reconciliation. I can be at peace with God. And when I'm at peace with God, Paul's going to tell us this, I can experience a peace that I have trouble explaining. Even when everything around me is falling down, I can experience like a peace that is hard for me to understand myself, and it's hard for me to communicate to others. So I think all Paul's saying is this, is uncommon joy, the secret to it, is found in an uncommon gospel. So before we go any further, the question that we've got to ask ourselves is this, have I ever personally embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, that's where you want to begin. You can add a lot of things to your life, but the secret to an uncommon joy starts inside out. And it starts with an uncommon gospel. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you grew up in church. I'm not asking if you like church. I'm not asking if you know a lot about God. I'm asking, have you ever embraced the gospel? You're saying, well, what do I got to do? You simply got to, by faith, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did for you. See, that's what Paul, he starts, he says, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I embrace the gospel, all of a sudden... God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. The Spirit of God lives inside of me. That's all Paul wants to start with. And here's what he's going to do the rest of chapter 1. You ready? He's simply going to say, when you embrace that uncommon gospel, it produces an uncommon joy. And when you got an uncommon joy, it's going to show up. And he's going to show us four ways it's going to show up. Four ways. Now, now look here a second. I just want to be honest with you. Because I already did this once, right? 530? I'm going to promise you something. For some of you, I think some of what, not what I'm going to say, what Paul's going to say tonight is going to challenge you. Is that okay? You okay with that? It's going to challenge you. It's not all going to be easy. But he's saying this uncommon joy, it produces some fascinating things when it is found in our lives. Let's just read it. Verse 3. Look what he says. Verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Paul makes it very clear. When you and I experience an uncommon joy, found an uncommon gospel, I can at that point genuinely appreciate others. I can genuinely, that's, that's, that's all Paul's doing. I can genuinely appreciate the people around me. Can we just be honest about something tonight? One of the biggest things that steal our joy is other people in our life. Some of you got people that came to your mind right now. Don't look around, by the way, okay? Other people can be the biggest source of robbing our joy. What Paul wants us to know is this, is that people can either steal your joy or they can fuel your joy. And he's saying when you have an uncommon joy in an uncommon gospel, that it frees you to be able to appreciate, see people in an uncommon way. And he does that. He appreciates people three different ways in the, in the part we just read, right? The first thing you see him saying is this. I don't know if you saw this. He says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. If I'm reading that right, he's saying, every time you come to my mind, I say, thanks, God. Thank you that you have purposefully put them in my life. Thank you for how they partner with me in the gospel. Thank you for them. I want you to write this down. You and I want to appreciate others in a genuine fashion that flows from an uncommon joy. Thank God for others. Dot, dot, dot. Often. I think that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, every time you come to my mind, I thank God. Now, he does something fascinating that, that I hope we can apply. Every time they came to his mind, he said, thanks, God. Thanks for Lisa. Every time she goes, thank you for Lisa. Thanks for Steve. But you know what he does beyond that? I love this. It, 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 it's not deep. There's no Greek origin of it. He tells them. How many of the room love it when somebody says, hey, I want you to know I'm so thankful to God for you? Don't you love that when somebody tells you that? I mean, that's all Paul's doing. He says, I want you to know that I thank God for you. You see, some of us, maybe the best way for us to, to leave tonight and to apply this is to think about the people in our life. Who are the people that are right around you that every time they come to your mind, you can say, wow, I am so thankful they're in my life. I'm so glad they had a part in me coming to know Christ. I'm so glad that I get to partner with them in this thing called the gospel. All Paul is saying this, uncommon joy produces this ability to genuinely thank God for others often and then let them know about it. But, but he goes a step further. Just peek at your Bibles quick at verse 6. You see what he says? He says, I'm confident of something. What's that? I'm confident that the God who started the work in you is going to finish it. He says, I'm confident that the God who, who I believe started the work in your life is going to carry it on to completion. You can write it down this way. <clears throat> Genuinely appreciating others is acknowledging that God is at work in their life. He's at work. You know what sometimes steals our joy? 
We look at other people and all we can focus on is how far they have to go, not how far they've come. You know what can steal your joy in your marriage? Listen close. Some of you are like, yeah, I can tell you a lot of things, right? There's just one thing I want to tell you about, okay? Here's something that can steal your joy in your marriage. When you look at your spouse and expect your spouse to be a finished product, nobody marries a finished product. We all marry projects under construction. And when we see that and can acknowledge God's at work, all of a sudden it's like, I appreciate God is working in your life. I realize you're not a finished product, but I also am confident that if God started it, guess what? He's going to finish it. Now, I love the fact Paul doesn't stop there. Just, just peek at your Bibles at verse 9. He goes on. He says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Look here a second. He did three things. First this, he thanked God for them often. He acknowledged, I'm confident God's working in you. God's doing something in your life. And then here we see that he prays for them personally and passionately. You see, if I'm going to appreciate others in my life, it's going to boil down to me praying for them and tell them how I'm praying for them. How in the world am I praying for you? I'm praying that this gospel thing is going to bear some fruit in your life. Can I ask you a challenging question? You got somebody in your life that's irritating you? Just, Just think for a minute. You got somebody in your life, now I, I said this last gathering and they were honest, I could see heads going, uh-huh. You got somebody that's frustrating you? You got somebody stealing your joy? I think here's what Paul was saying. Our tendency is, is to let them rob our joy. And in robbing our joy, what we do is we like to tell others about them. Right? Come on, I know, it's tough. Because they're stealing our joy, and so we got to vindicate ourselves. So what we do is we tell on them. What Paul is saying is, no, no, this uncommon joy doesn't go tell on them, talk to others about them, but I'm going to talk to God for them and about them. See how that works? It's an uncommon joy that says, hey, I want to pray for you. I believe God's at work in you. I want the gospel to bear fruit in you, and I am thankful for you every time you come to my mind. Uncommon joy genuinely appreciates others. But it's not just people that steal our joy, is it? Sometimes, if we're honest, problems steal our joy. Somebody back here is like, oh yeah, right? Problems steal our joy. Joy would be a piece of cake if every day was Disney World, right? <laughs> joy would, some of you are like, no, that's a headache, right? Joy would be a piece of cake if, 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 you're, if you're, you had tons of money or if, 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 if you never got sick or if your kids always behave. I mean, joy would be a piece of cake. But all of us live in a real world, right? And, and the real world we live in is not Disney World and there's sickness and kids don't always behave and sometimes there's not enough money. And if there was anybody who knew what it was like to endure problems, it was Paul. Look at your Bibles, verse 12. This is him talking. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, that's me being put in jail, in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Guys, don't miss what's going on here because it is fascinating. Paul had a dream. I don't know if you knew this or not. His dream was to go to Rome as a preacher. He wanted to tell them about his God. But instead of going to Rome as a preacher, he finds himself in Rome as a prisoner. As a prisoner, he was a Roman citizen. He had the right to appeal to Caesar. His right was overlooked. Eventually, when they acknowledged that he had this right, they put him on a boat to go across the Mediterranean. And you know what happened to him? Shipwrecked. Once he eventually reaches there, he gets incarcerated. He gets forgotten about in the political machinery called Rome. Paul knew what it was like to have a no good, very bad day. Is anybody else in the room understand that? And yet he says this, when you have an uncommon joy, there's something fascinating that happens even in your problems. I want you to write this down. When I have an uncommon joy, I can even see a purpose in my problems. I didn't say it's easy. Paul's a guy who has an uncommon joy. He's in prison. And he's not asking why, he's asking what? How in the world can this serve to advance the gospel? How can my situation be something that can be used of God to advance the gospel? And you know what he did? This is, this is all he did. He just looked around him. And you know what he saw? He saw the elite of the elite of the Roman guards. The guys guarding him would eventually go on to be leaders in Rome. And he's like, wow, these guys who have to spend every day with me are going to listen to me while I talk to God. They're going to listen to me tell my story, and they're going to be around while I write part of the news. I don't think Paul's the prisoner here, by the way. He has a captive audience, doesn't he? You see, he saw that his problems could have a purpose. I want you to write this down. This is, this is challenging, but my problems may provide a unique audience for the gospel. Your problems may provide a unique audience for the gospel. <clears throat> Some of you know a little bit about my story, and, and there's some of you that don't, but before I came to Norton seven years ago, my wife and I planted a church in Indiana. So we started from scratch. We started with 15 people in a double-wide trailer. That's where we started, okay? After we met there for a while, and uh, we, we started seeing God do some things, we ended up two years in a school, where we set up and tear down every week. So when I come and watch what's going on here, guys, as I pray for you, I remember, okay? There are some weeks it's like, oh, wow, we've got to do that again, right? But God uses that. When we first went to Columbia City, here's the deal. There was 15 people. They couldn't pay me, right? Couldn't get paid very much money at all. So I had to work four jobs same time in order to support my family. And those four jobs all put together barely made us around $15,000 a year. 
One of those jobs that I had to do, because I had a young child, young bride, was coaching football. I needed money. I loved football. There was a football coaching vacancy, so I got to coach football. I thought to myself when I first got that job, man, because it was time-consuming and, and, and I enjoyed it, but it was one of the jobs that I had to do. I'm like, man, God, couldn't you make this easier? Like, I want to see this church be successful. I want to reach people. I really want to put my time and energies into planting this church. I, I mean, couldn't you, like, somehow make it easier for me to do this is what I thought to myself. And so I got to work this job and this job and this job and plant the church until all of a sudden God, almost he's like, I got to be patient with this young buck. He doesn't quite get it, right? Showed me this, that my coaching job gave me the opportunity to meet hundreds of people, hundreds of people that I wouldn't have met any other way. Probably in that town, I was known by more people as coach than I was as pastor. I had the chance to do some of their funerals, some of their weddings. I had a chance to be with some of them in some difficult situations. And all of a sudden, God allowed for me to do what Paul was doing in this passage. He said, Dan... I realize it's hard right now, and you got to work these jobs, but just kind of look around you. And I started to look around, and I'm like, wow, I had the privilege to see two of the guys that I coached beside come to know Christ as their Savior. He said, just look around. I got a chance to see this as a son. Three years ago, I lost my dad to, to cancer. My, my dad, literally, the cancer spread throughout his body, and it ate away his skeleton. I mean, it was an awful death. I watched my dad die an awful death. My dad was a godly man and loved Jesus, and towards the end of his life, he, he really couldn't do anything for himself, if you know what I mean. He couldn't do anything for himself, and one of those particular times, he was in the hospital, and I had taken my mom home, and when I came back, I noticed dad wasn't in bed, and I, I, I was worried for my dad. I'm like wonder where dad's at. And I saw the bathroom door was shut. I don't have any idea how he got there. And I heard him talking. And I thought to myself, my dad was losing it, is what I thought. My dad's in there and he's talking to himself. So I put my ear up to the door so I could see what was going on, you know. And I just listened. And as I listened, I began, he was talking about Jesus. And I'm like, okay, eventually I'm going to have to go in there and say, hey, dad, you know, let me help you out. And then I heard a young gal's voice and I stepped back and I realized that my dad in a moment when he could do nothing for himself looked around and saw an opportunity his problem became an opportunity to share Christ you see here's the deal I don't know some of you but some of you are going through challenges and problems right now I'm, I'm pretty sure of that and I don't want to make light of that I'm not making light of that at all but all I'm saying is, is like Paul, I wonder what might happen if you just start looking around and begin to see the people that your problems give you an audience with. See, an uncommon joy has an ability to do that. Paul didn't stop there. You see what else he says? He says, verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, that's followers of Christ, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What's he saying here? He's saying that my problems don't just provide a unique audience for the gospel, but you can write this down. My problems sometimes are an inspiration for other believers, for other followers of Christ. 
Sometimes there are people who watch as you trust God through your problems and the way you walk through your problems becomes an encouragement and inspiration for them. And that's all he's saying. They're watching me. And and the way that I get a chance to walk through this becomes something that breathes life into their spirit. We have a gal at the Norton campus that's that for me. She's an older gal, and a few years ago, she walked with her husband through Parkinson's disease. And then he got dementia. And I watched her walk through that with a resilience, a faith, a trust, a dignity. And she eventually buried him. And I'll say to her, you're like one of my heroes. But you know what I've had a chance to watch her do this last year? Now we have three guys in about the same boat her husband was. Who do you think is beside the wives of those three guys? My hero. Her name's Donna. What is she? She's an inspiration. She's an encouragement. Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Look here a second. I'm a a dad. I got three kids. One's married, 21. I have a daughter who's 18, going to go off to college. I have a boy who's 16. Your kids are watching. You face problems. The way you walk through your problems might be the very inspiration and encouragement your kids need to breathe confidence into their life to follow the God that you say you serve. That's all Paul's saying. Now, it doesn't stop there. He says this, verse 15. You ready? He says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Guys, do you see what's going on here? Paul's in prison, right? And Paul's in prison, and while in prison, he finds out that there are people preaching Christ, doing church, with all the wrong motives. Can I tell you something? This may be new news to some of you. You can do church for the wrong reasons. And so he finds out there's people doing church and preaching Christ for all the wrong reasons. But that's not enough. Some of these people are preaching Christ for all the wrong reasons. You know what else they're doing? They're trashing his reputation. I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, I don't know, if I'm Paul, I might be thinking, what can I do to get vindication? I mean, that might knock me out of the box. I'm kind of a justice guy, you know what I mean? I'm like, what do you mean? What do you know? And so I find that out, but yet what does Paul say? He says, I realize that's what's going on. There's people preaching Christ with sincere motives. There's people preaching Christ and they got false motives. There's people trashing my reputation. But what does he say? The most important thing is that Christ is being preached. People are believing. That's what he's saying. Isn't that fascinating? You see, when I have an uncommon joy, I want you to write this down. I will get passionate about what really matters. Paul had an uncommon joy, and he's like, you know something? There's a lot of things going on that I could get fired up about, but he said, I'm going to get passionate about what really matters. And the most important thing to me is that Jesus is preached. I have three questions under this point. I want you to write them down. Think about them. But I want you to be honest with yourself about them. First is this. What is it you get most passionate about? 
What is it in life that you get the most enthusiastic, fired up about? What makes you angry? What makes you unbelievably happy? What is it that drives your passion? Be honest with yourself. I can tell you this. If, if, if your passion is anchored in your favorite ball team, you're going to get frustrated, right? If your passion is somehow anchored in how much money you make, you're going to be insecure, right? If your passion is hooked into politics, oh my, you're going to get disappointed, right? Let's be honest. Paul said, my passion is hooked into the most important thing. Isn't Isn't it true, guys? We can get fired up about things that don't really matter at the end of the day. We can get really passionate, enthusiastic about things that, quite frankly, they're temporary. They're not going to last. Paul says, if I'm going to get passionate, you can tell me these people are doing this, I'm going to get passionate about what really matters. The most important thing is Christ is being preached. I want to go a step further. Not only does that apply individually, can I talk to you guys as a church? Because we're part of the same church. Churches can get passionate about things that aren't important. Remember that. Churches can get passionate about the wrong things. And it can cause them to get off focus. Paul says, I have an uncommon joy and I'm focused on the most important thing. Christ is being preached. But here's what Paul's in prison. He can't do anything about what's going on, can he? People are trashing him and he can't do anything about it. It makes me think of a second question and this one might sting a little, but you ought to write it down. Is it more important for me to control situations or to influence people? That one's a tough one. Particularly if you're somebody that's like, i got to be in control all the time. Because I will tell you something. If your joy comes from controlling every situation, you eventually are going to lose your joy. And if your joy is about being in control all the time... You're not going to just lose your joy, but you know what else? You're going to miss your opportunity to influence people. And you're going to miss the opportunity to celebrate when people are influenced by things that you had no control over. You see, if your joy comes from controlling situations, then you're going to spend all of your time focusing on controlling situations and not influencing people. Paul had no control over the situation, did he? He's in prison. He can't do anything about it. And yet he said the most important thing to me is people are being influenced for the gospel. But there's one more thing that Paul's response makes me think of, and that's this. They are literally out there trashing his reputation. And that would be hard for me. I don't know if you've ever had that done. I've had it done multiple times, and that is hard. And yet it makes me think of this question. You ought to write it down, percolate on it, and that's this. Is it my reputation or is it my character that matters most to me? Is it my reputation or is it my character that matters most to me? You see, here's the deal. When people trash our reputation, what do we want to do? We want vindication, right? We want to make sure we go major image control, right? I want to make sure I have a good image in front of other people. 
I want you to remember something. If this is a struggle for you, I want you to remember something, okay? You don't have to agree with what I'm going to say right now, but you ought to think about it. My reputation is God's business. My character is my business. In fact, I like the way Shannon Alder put it. He says this, Reputation is what others think of us. Character is what God knows to be true of us. When you've spent what feels like an eternity trying to repair a few moments of time that destroyed the view others once had of you, then you must ask yourself if you have the problem or if they have the problem. God doesn't make us try so hard. Only enemies do. Paul didn't have any control, right? Paul had this uncommon joy, and that uncommon joy caused him to be passionate about what really, really mattered. And it caused him to see that there was even a purpose in his problems. And it caused him to look around at the people in his life and say, I thank God for you. And I know God's at work in you. I'm going to pray for you. But there's one more thing, and then we're going to land this ship. That I, you, can't, you can't walk away from Philippians 1 without seeing. That Paul com- conveyed and communicated. For the sake of time, just look at your Bibles, verse 21. Look at verse 21. In your Bibles, here's what he says. For me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. Paul, you know what Paul's saying? Death can't steal my joy. He's saying death can't do it. He said death can't steal my joy because for me to live is to have a purpose, and to die is to get a promotion. That's what he's saying. In fact, an uncommon joy shows up like this. You can write it down this way. I will develop a win-win attitude. That's what Paul's saying. I have a win-win attitude. It makes me think of a friend of mine at the Norton campus. This friend of mine at the Norton campus, when I first came to Norton, we struck up a friendship because of our love for sports. He's an a, a avid Ohio State fan. I'm an avid Penn State fan. So we, somebody back here shaking their head, no, why'd we let him in here, right? And so we made a deal with each other when I first met him that when those two teams played, if my team won the next Sunday we had church, he would wear a Penn State shirt. If his team won the next Sunday, I'd preach an Ohio State shirt, right? And so the first year I was here, and I was loving it because my team won, right? He wore a Penn State shirt, and it was wonderful. I've worn a lot more Ohio State shirts than he ever wore Penn State shirts. But this buddy of mine got cancer. I watched him navigate cancer. I watched it eat away at his body. Little by little, he began to deteriorate. Every time I talked to him at church, and eventually he went into hospice, every time I went to see him, he always would say the same thing to me. You know what he'd say to me? Dan, I can't lose. I'd say, Dave, what do you mean? He said, I can't lose. If I live, I get to serve Jesus. He said, if I die... I get to see Jesus. He had a win-win attitude. You see, an uncommon joy produces a win-win attitude. My friend's story stands in stark contrast to what I was doing at this time last Saturday night. At this very moment last Saturday night, I stood in another school building, not this one. And it was a gym full of teenagers and their parents. 
And we were there to pay tribute to their friend, 16 years old, who took her own life. She decided that life was painful and to die was escape. She decided that life had no purpose and there was nothing to be gained from living. Paul, I wish I would have had a chance to talk to her to know her. Paul said there's an uncommon joy that is found in the gospel. I'm going to ask the band to work their way out. Can I ask you several questions and then we'll close. First is this. Do you have, have you ever experienced the uncommon joy that's found in the uncommon gospel? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? I'm not asking if you like church, you go to church, you know a lot about God. I'm asking have you ever personally trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? You guys know you can do that tonight? You can walk out of here with the grace and peace that comes and is found in the gospel. You can walk out of here knowing God's your Father, Jesus is your Savior. It's simply recognizing, acknowledging I'm a sinner and I believe Jesus did for me on the cross what I can't do for myself and I believe he's alive. And tonight you can walk out of here with an uncommon joy that's found in an uncommon gospel. Truth is, some of you are like, yeah, I've done that, but truth be known, I've lost my uncommon joy. And some of you have lost your uncommon joy because all of a sudden people have begun to rob it in your life. And Paul simply comes to you and says, listen, when you begin to look at people through this uncommon gospel, you can genuinely appreciate others. You can all of a sudden begin to thank God that he purposefully placed them in your life. I wonder who it is that needs to hear from you this week, who needs to receive a phone call from you this week, who needs to get an email from you this week saying, you know something, I'm thankful for you and I'm praying for you. Some of you lost your uncommon joy. You know why? Because you're facing some challenges and some problems. And you're so focused on those problems that all you can think about is how those problems are leaning into your life. And all Paul is saying, he's like, I get it. I know what that's like. But he said, if you would look at your problems through the lens of the gospel, all of a sudden you begin to look around you and maybe, just maybe, your problems are providing for you an audience that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And maybe, just maybe, there's people watching your life that need to see and be inspired and encouraged by the way you walk through and trust God in the middle of your problems. All Paul wants you to know is this, is an uncommon joy begins to show up in an uncommon way in our lives. And I can tell you this, our world needs to see an uncommon joy that's found in an uncommon gospel.